What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Yo, what's up, guys? It's Johnny King with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast, and I'm so excited to have our next guest joining us all the way across the pond from northern Spain, Andrew Lynn. What's going on, man? How are you? Really good, man. Good to meet you. Good to be yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. I've been following you on on social media and just enjoying. I'm I'm doing a um, a coaching certification, and one of our modules was all about kind of like being a, a trauma informed coach. And I, to be totally honest and transparent, I've been kind of a one trick pony in terms of uh, being a coach and and just realizing how much uh, my, my need to expand into really understanding trauma more, which is probably how I found you is uh, something that I really, cause I don't, I, I, I intellectually understand trauma but really working with someone, uh, I'm not necessarily totally understanding how that works. And so I've, as I've been studying, I've been following your content and just really enjoying it. So I'm just excited to get into the conversation. So yeah, I really appreciate you being here and, and, uh, would love to kind of just get into a little bit of your story. Cause I know you said like, we're, uh, you said like in your early thirties, you're diagnosed with depression or just tell the listeners a little bit about your story. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm 44 now from the UK, live in Spain with my family. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the start of this part of my life, this part of my journey was probably when I was in my early 30s. Had some young kids, another business that I was sabotaging, you know, <laughs> another hangover, feeling depressed, feeling disconnected, went to the went to get some help, went to reach out uh, from a local GP and was diagnosed fairly quickly with depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. um, which, to be honest, didn't sit really well with me. <laughs> I knew there was, I knew I felt depressed. There was no, there was, there was no doubt about that. But being labelled as having depression and being diagnosed with some medication in the hope to turn my life around, it just didn't it didn't sit right with me. Mm. And that was when that was really the start of my journey, I would say, into exploring mental health, mental illness, trauma and seeking out my own healing. Mm. You know, seeking out a different way, seeking out that thing that I just felt was lost in my life. You know, and that took me on a long journey, as you can imagine. Yeah. The big yeah. questions, right? Yeah. Who am I? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a long journey. I sought help from a lot of people, a lot of different modalities across the world. 
we took our kids out of school actually back in 2016, 17, and we traveled for a year, year and a half around the world as part of our healing journey, me and my wife, and kind of investigated how they manage these things in different parts of the world. So we lived in Indonesia, we lived in Bali, we lived in cool. Myanmar and Laos and mm -hmm. India for six Jeez. months, wow. South America. And, you know, just spoke to a lot of people, but also received guidance and received healing from a lot of people. So that really kind of sparked my interest in this form of work. Yeah. It connected me with what I like to do and the energy aspect of healing. So the energy work, energy healing, which is what I do and what I received on my travels. But also the most interesting part for me was, like I said, just having that different aspect like being diagnosed with depression in the West, in England, and, and offered medication, and then going around the world and just seeing how other people manage this type of stuff, how everyone's viewed a bit more holistically in other parts of the world, and then coming back to the West and implementing all these things for myself and then obviously eventually for, for others. Mm. How was that? Uh, was that something that your wife was just supporting you on is like, Hey babe, I need to go do uh, like, this has to happen. Or was she also on her on a, like a, a, a lateral or a parallel kind of growth journey yeah. along with you? She was, uh, she's on her own journey. And to be honest, she was probably one of the drivers, mm. you know? And I find that a lot, I find that a lot now, to be honest, in my practice, but she was the proactive one. We shared a lot of healers and, and mentors and coaches, and she probably got me into getting help. Mm. Um, so we shared this journey. It's been very much a journey of personal growth and supporting each other within the relationship. Mm. And obviously the challenges that all this baggage brings as well, getting through all those challenges right <laughs> right well good to have uh a loving partner by your side to be able to to process and go through some of these things you know we don't always have that you know we as in like each of us individually as as men and i know for myself a lot of my journey has been solo um but i think for for a reason because i've been so codependent and so reliant on a mom figure or women in one way or another that I had to go through it on my own, you know, to, to find interesting. That. Yeah. It's a really interesting point actually. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of relationships are unconscious, right? We get into them because of these coping mechanisms and this baggage that we bring. So like you say, these codependencies on, on whatever they are. And in a way, mine led me into the relationship I'm in now. Um, but in a slightly different way, I kind of rejected all of the mother figures. I rejected all the, the adoration, the people that wanted to provide me with love. Yeah. I was like, yeah. no, I want my father. I want the distant one. I want the one that's, that's trying to reject me. So I followed, I got into a relationship with my wife now, probably because of her, her the trauma that she was carrying around with her and her in a probably 
not inability, I don't want to talk on her behalf, but certainly the, the her childhood trauma and her unconscious uh, patterns and limiting beliefs that she was putting out into the world, they attracted mine at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think many people are like that. Most people are like that. Most relationships are like that. And it's really whether you can be conscious and you can grow together. You can have that awakening and that awareness almost at the same time. Otherwise, it breaks. It kind of has to break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because if you're changing, if you're shifting, if you're becoming conscious, if you're healing your patterns and you're in a relationship that you got into because of those patterns, then it no longer functions. Totally. And that's what I was thinking about. It's like not a lot of relationships survive when when like attracts like and you bring two kind of, you know, (laughs) traumatized individuals who are feeding off each other or triggering each other. And if one... I, I just feel like I deal with this with a lot of clients that I have. Um, oftentimes I feel like a, a client who is committed and has hired me and is doing the work tends to start feeling like they're outgrowing their partner. And then in my, yeah. you know, my continued journey of looking for a, a life partner as well, like uh, I, I'm very conscious of looking for someone who is actively doing the work and how growth is just a part of their mo it's just Mm. part of who they are you know otherwise i'm like i don't i don't want to outgrow you i want to do this life together so it's cool that you've had that together you and she um yeah i think it's like i said we got together because of our unconscious patterns but one of the reasons why we stayed together was because of our desire for to be better people that's awesome yeah that's awesome yeah no i see that with my clients i see some of them actually stopping their journey before their potential to stay in a relationship. Mm, So it works both ways. I see them get to a certain point and they think, okay, this is, this is as much growth as my relationship can handle. Yeah. And they kind of, and I speak to them about it and some of them consciously choose the relationship. They're like, okay, I've been with my wife for 25 years. She doesn't want to change, but I want to be happier. Yeah. So I'm going to do as much as I can within the boundary of, of the relationship. And, yeah. and as long as that's a conscious decision, that's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. As a quote unquote trauma informed men's coach, uh, I imagine there are clients of yours who, again, intellectually to some extent understand trauma or, or maybe they, they, uh, they play it down. Like, no, I had a fine childhood. I mean, it's fine. You know, how do you go about um, educating them, if you will, or explaining to them what trauma really is and and understanding, Mm. like, because there's guys like, no, I wasn't raped. I wasn't sexually abused. So I haven't really been traumatized. So maybe you can kind of explain to the listeners kind of how you would go about defining trauma and some of the unique different uh, heads of trauma if you will yeah it's a it's a fascinating subject and like you said you may be one track in your coaching before i found that i've become quite one track in this trauma thing because suddenly everything to me looks like trauma (laughs) like everything (laughs) looks like it's rooted in trauma um so you're right a lot of men don't 
consider themselves to be traumatized and maybe we'll get into this later on down the line but i feel like that's one of the things that's holding men back quite a lot totally. from actually healing yeah that's good yep totally agree and why trauma doesn't help that because there's a legacy around trauma uh you know big trauma war rape car crash death ptsd yep all that type of thing so the history of trauma is that basically these big events, the you know people came back from war and they were traumatized, yeah, and then they had certain symptoms. Okay, we've diagnosed that as a society. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Most people understand that, but there's been a lot of work over the last 20, 30, 40 years about the more subtle aspects of trauma. And a lot of it is categorized as uh, developmental trauma, Mm -hmm. which is more about environments that we live in, about Mm -hmm. how we felt as a child, about the role of our parents. Yeah. Essentially, you've got what you call the ideal childhood experience, which none of us really had, which (laughs) is kind of, you know, you're born into this world as a little shining light and you are given safety. Okay, so that looks after your nervous system. That looks after your basic needs. You're given love, so you feel like you are enough. You feel like you're welcome. You feel like you're accepted. You're given encouragement for you to express yourself and experiment and also make mistakes. Yeah, that's like the ideal childhood. It's probably more complex than that, but simplistically, we grow up not being afraid to be ourselves, feeling safe in our body. And actually, it's been shown that any experience that wasn't that creates long-lasting effects, okay? And that's essentially what my understanding of trauma is. It's when you have an experience or an environment that you go through or experience that shifts you that fragments you yeah and then you are it then informs your decisions in the next experience yeah many experiences we just have we have a cup of coffee in the morning we enjoy it flows through us we move on that coffee doesn't inform the next decision right but trauma from my point of view is anything that stays with us so you get bullied you have an experience where your parents are uh absent or they are aggressive or they are um they are hypercritical they're stressed they're busy you know you're living in an unsafe environment you start having to strategize your way to feel safe strategize your way to get attention suddenly you're playing the next scenario from a strategic point of view rather than an authentic point of view right so that that's really what i think is the most common form of trauma and the most unknown form of trauma Mm. this developmental trauma where our needs aren't met and we don't feel safe as children Mm. I think it was one of the leading guys in this is Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, The Body Holds the Score. Very Mm -hmm. famous book. Lots of people Mm -hmm. have read it. Um, But he came out with a quote that I just saw the other day, which is basically that up to 40% of our population in our society in the West 
is experiencing the symptoms of this developmental trauma, mm-hmm. um, which, which I can believe in a way. Mm-hmm. So explaining that to people certainly opens people's eyes. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My parents. Yeah. They were arguing all the time. Yeah. They didn't really like each other, but that's just the way it was, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. My dad was busy. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. He kind of slapped me a few times, but, you know, I did something wrong or, you know, I got sent to boarding school when I was seven. But, you know, that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the, so the story that they come to me with changes over the course of the conversation when they realize that actually trauma is a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But really, the, the, the key thing, the, the, the thing that gets most people is when I tell them about the side effects of this developmental trauma, the impact. Yeah, because the impact, the side effects are numerous and across all aspects of our life. So physically, you know, feeling unsafe for a prolonged period of time, dysregulating our nervous system, leading to the side effects of anxiety, OCD, ADHD, fatigue, addiction, anger, insomnia, procrastination. And everyone's going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. And then the limiting beliefs, like, again, the ones that don't, these don't necessarily resonate with men a lot unless they're really honest with themselves, but it's the self-doubt. Like, I'm not good enough. I fear being rejected. Mm. You know, if I'm myself, I'm going to be rejected. If I'm honest, I'm going to be rejected. Right. And then the the coping mechanisms we build around that trauma and those beliefs, the people pleasing, the self-sabotage, the fear of failure, the imposter syndrome, that's stuff that we're, we're, most people are living with. Yeah. So I think once I take men through the journey of explaining what trauma is and then what the side effects are, which most people don't know about, because it's not very widely advertised. People see their journey. They finally get, a, oh, that's the route. And, oh, yeah, that, that's what I'm experiencing. And for a lot of people, it just joins the dots up. Because they're like, why am I feeling lost? Why am I playing a character? Why am I anxious? There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my childhood. Right. You know, I've got a happy life. I make money. I make good money. I've got a good job. I've got a wife. I've got kids. Why am I unhappy? Mm-hmm. So when you explain, when I explain to them this journey, it kind of, it's a bit of a light bulb moment for most people. I can only imagine because there's so many, obviously, like you said, there's, I, I see that even from the, the small little standpoint of like, okay, I, I could see how, um, you know, both my parents were, uh, struggling through their own challenges as we all do as, as adults. Um, and food was one of their common, you know, coping mechanisms and, uh, way to self soothe. And it certainly didn't, uh, support, uh, you know, either my parents. And, and I think my mom's passing at 61 definitely woke my dad up to losing 120 pounds, Um, but now that I see, uh, you know, I'm a grown adult, how a lot of those behaviors were passed down to some of my siblings, 
and how mm -hmm. some of those siblings have passed it down to their children. So I start to see the uh, waterfall effect, if you will, of kind of generational, you know, behaviors. Uh, so even if that's a small little example of like, okay, that's just a coping mechanism, but that's how mm -hmm. generational trauma can be passed down, you know, from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, I share but, that experience with you. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But also, if your parents are using food as a coping mechanism, it means that they were still experiencing the symptoms of trauma. Mm -hmm. So they were still feeling unsafe. They were still feeling dysregulated. They were still feeling anxious. They were self-soothing with the food. So when you live in an environment with people that are experiencing the side effects of trauma, you feel them as well. Mm -hmm. So not only do you pick up their coping mechanisms, but you pick up, you experience the trauma yeah, through them as well. Yep. 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 Cause I didn't feel safe to, to express. I didn't feel seen and just realizing as I've gotten more into this work, how, you know, I used to, to minimize like, yeah, I felt like I had a pretty good childhood, you know, like I, who am I to complain, you know, <laughs> growing up in America and being white and Christian and educated, like I have every advantage and I acknowledge that. So there's part of me that feels ashamed, you know, in the past, mm -hmm. I would say not so much now to, to acknowledge that maybe there is some trauma here because like, like you said, there's different versions of trauma. And because I didn't go through uh, a natural disaster or an accident or, um, and that sort of thing, or even like sexual abuse or sustained abuse in my household, it was more, like you said, just kind of like abandonment or family disputes. It was um, mental illness and that sort of thing that, but it was just very seductive. It was very kind of below the surface uh, and really not acknowledged or talked about, but man, did it permeate through my entire family, you know, and take its toll. And we, and we see it now. Right. And so I think that's the, that's the reason why I have the podcast, why I do the work that I do, why I love the work that you're doing. So many of us men, I feel like are stepping up to me like, okay, we now have the bandwidth that we don't have to be out in the fields working all day, every day. Mm. We actually have the ability to care for our family, to make money and have these type of conversations, <laughs> do the work and to, to become better versions of ourselves so that we can hopefully propel the next generation, like your kids and my future children to like, not have to do that work, the heavy lifting as, mm -hmm. as maybe that we have done. So it leads me to kind of a little bit more coming back around to interweaving your story back into things. You were doing a lot of the work, but what were some of the dots that you were connecting in your thirties while you were traveling the world and doing a lot of what was the, the trauma or what, what provoked the anxiety, the depression, the self-sabotage in your personal life? I'd say 90% of it was down to actually an event an experience, which was my parents' divorce. Mm. Like that happened when I was maybe five or six. So my son's like eight or nine, he's nine now, just turned nine. And I can see in him how an impressionable, what an impressionable age that was. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And for me, so it's a, it a combination of things and it's complex. So number one, my parents divorced, which I perceived as a rejection by my father. I'm not good enough for him to hang around. Mm -hmm. so yeah, he left, he left with another woman and basically he was very non-committal. He was very, not very present he was completely traumatized himself. 
Sure. Yeah, the usual story. So that left me with a lot of unexpressed emotion, a lot of grief, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of self-blame. I had a lot of stories around my father leaving that were coping mechanisms. So I had a story running for about 20 years that it was a really good thing that my dad left. Yeah, because my stepdad was really good at football and he kind of came in and told me how to play football. So that was my coping mechanism. Meanwhile, underneath all of that, I was feeling this rejection, self-hate, self-loathing. Mm-hmm. So that was the event. And I think different people and different families manage events differently. So one of the, and it's it's like a combination of things. So one of the streets the strains in my mother's side of the family is not dealing with emotion so hiding everything like pretending everything's okay yeah 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 right <laughs> yeah so in hindsight now i look back and i thought there was this big event and my mom was doing her best to try and make everything okay mm. yeah so don't worry everything's going to be fine we're going to be fine we're going to do this right and i respect her for that like there's not much you can do but in hindsight i needed to process that emotion of that event that trauma mm-hmm. i needed to let it out let it go feel it and the result of the events of my father leaving the perceived rejection and then the holding on of the emotion the unexpressed emotion over a number of years, uh, led to more trauma. I'd say pretty instantly I was, I was knocked off center. I was, I was dysregulated. I can remember the procrastination at school. I just couldn't focus. I couldn't think Mm. nothing made any sense to me. All the teachers were like, you know, you're bright, but what, you know, you're just not doing anything. You know, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD or something back then because I just, I couldn't concentrate. I didn't do any homework. Yeah, so that spirals into more stress and more trauma. I pretty much instantly started putting up protection and playing a character to not get rejected anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're playing a character, if there's distance between you and the re- universe and the world, then you're always protecting yourself. Because if this person gets rejected, if this person fails, then it's not me, right? It's not my heart's not going to get broken again. Mm-hmm. So immediately I started playing the games, the coping mechanisms, the strategies, mm-hmm. the sabotaging. So I can see even the those symptoms of trauma that I talked about in me as a nine-year-old kid. Um, and then that played out. That played out through drug abuse, alcohol abuse, quite a lot of violence, just the anger coming out, lots of fighting, you know, just not just and trying to escape like alcoholism through my 20s, uh, drug abuse, not not too heavy, actually, just smoked a lot of weed as an escape. That was really my like my way to just relax my nervous system. But I was either drunk or hungover or stoned pretty Mm -hmm. much through my whole 20s. Mm -hmm. And that that starts to have an effect, right? That starts to have an effect. Late in your 20s, you start to feel ill. I was having panic attacks. I was in the hospital a few times. I thought I was dying, literally. It was just panic attacks from anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
mm. and, and uh, too much unhealth. And I see this with a lot of people, like late 20s, 30, you can't hide this stuff anymore. Like it just comes up. <laughs> yeah. 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 You are going to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that was it. That was kind of like the realization for me. And so, so yeah, so that, that's basically it. The realization of the trauma that I experienced and the effect it had on me for decades right and then the the process of moving that energy because i think for me uh personally realizing how much i'd created you know like you said a character as well as just different mechanisms to keep that all bottled in and as you said when it starts to spring a leak it's like a dam you know that springs leak here and then here and then it starts showing up in all of this passive aggressiveness or or i get really angry about something that's really not a big deal at all and i'm like whoa like after the fact i'm like where did that come from started kind of recognizing those things in me but i but i now see how important like experiential work is for me where i or men's work where i'm with a group of guys it's a safe container if you will safe environment where i can actually express rage or anger or shame or sadness and hadn't really respected how powerful that is to to move that energy out uh, until yeah. i actually experienced it for the first time you know yeah. um so were you doing that when you were traveling the world were you doing plant-based ceremonies were you doing uh any type of like release no plant-based yeah no plant-based i did plenty of screaming at trees and in fields yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> right. i had a lot of help lot of support i saw balinese priests which are like energy workers sound mm. healers in the rice fields in ubud uh like yogis and healers in in uh, india some incredible people here in europe actually mm. but and I did some group work. I did some breath work. I did I did everything. Did everything. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> I did a lot. Of stuff. I didn't do the plant stuff. And I did a lot. I'm sure there's a lot more as well. But I did a lot. Um, and again, in hindsight, like I feel like I've taken the parts of that, all of the good stuff, all the good parts of what I experienced to offer to people now. And I'll give you an example of that. Yeah. The, the release of emotion. The release of emotion is an integral part of healing. But I know for a fact I released emotion for years, for decades. Tears, anger, and it didn't seem to go away. The root was yeah. kind of there it came back kept coming back like, what is this anger and in hindsight after working with men for a couple of years the key to releasing anger is that or whatever emotion you've got stored is that you are not releasing it as a man right now if i release anger now if i scream as a 44 year old man i'm just kind of i'm getting I'm getting trapped in the emotion. I'm getting the emotions overwhelming me, okay? The way to release emotion is for you to witness or somebody to witness the younger part of you, 
that has the unexpressed emotion releasing it. Okay. So when you're releasing uh, emotion, there needs to be a dual aspect to it. There needs to be a witness in the present moment, which is you. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a part of you that is releasing that emotion, but you're almost holding space for yourself. Mm. And somebody can hold space for you, mm-hmm. but you need to hold space for that part of you that experienced the emotion. Cause it's not you that's angry. It's your eight year old, for example, right. that's right. carrying around unexpressed anger. That's the anger that's coming up. It's not you as a man. You feel it. You might be angry at that person over there for cutting you up in the traffic. But actually, it's your eight-year-old's unexpressed anger that's coming out, mm-hmm. for example. And if you release it in an environment where you're holding space, so you're witnessing anger, you can feel it. You can feel it in your body. You feel it in your stomach. You feel it in your chest. You feel it coming up. But you're witnessing it. You're present. You're safe. You're grounded. You can feel it and it'll come up and it'll go. It might be a minute. It might be five minutes. It might be 10 minutes, but you will feel it come. You will watch it and you will let it go and it won't come back again. Mm. And that is the process of releasing emotion in my experience that works. Mm. Does that make sense? Have you experienced anything like that? Yeah. And I feel like that uh, does really resonate because and, and as you were talking before, you kind of said your eight-year-old, I was like, is this, is this a little bit more like your inner child work where you're, you know, getting back to the, the, the origin, if you will, of when, you know, you went through something and you've, you've started repressing anger and whatnot. And, but I like the, I hadn't heard that where it is kind of like your adult, the 44-year-old version of you holding space for your eight-year-old version of you be like hey man it's okay you know you can kind of parent yourself in the way that you maybe wished you would have <laughs> you know well, and then uh yeah. you got it, it. Go. i mean that is the yeah. that is a beautiful experience there's two yeah. things there's there's emotion release and there's inner parenting mm-hmm. they're both good practices and people do them but when you combine them yeah. they are incredibly powerful Mm. So you've got you holding space for your eight-year-old. He releases that emotion. You get the vision. Oh, my word. This is where the trauma's from. It's from this experience with my father. Let's let it go. Let's watch it. Let's feel it. And then you're left with you, eight-year-old you, vulnerable, release the emotion, and you as the witness. And then you can inner parent that part of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you can f- give him the love the compassion whatever he needed at that point in time and then you literally feel him reintegrate into you you can feel him healing yeah because it's that part of you that needs healing it's not you as a man there sitting there with your dog you don't need him yeah right it's it's the younger versions of you that are still live because of the trauma that require the healing right it's, it's the younger version of me that, uh, that experienced something that was probably difficult even enough for a, an, a, grown, a grown adult to process, you know, but it's an eight-year-old trying to do the best he could with some type of, you know, high energy moment, right? Um, and I think that's, that's more of the understanding of like, okay, I did the best that I could as a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old not, you know, that was a big, heavy thing that even my parents probably had a hard time dealing with emotionally, you know, <laughs> having a fully developed brain. Right. So 
that does that does resonate. I, I'm I'm curious though because I, I do feel like um, men that I talk to that they kind of feel like they're um, kind of their mental state, or if you will, like that they that they literally have an illness that they're broken that they are unhealable um, and that it's permanent, right? And what I like about some of the content that I've seen you put out there is that it's, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you're saying like, it's very, it's, it's not an illness. It's a, a temporary state, if you will. Would you yeah. elaborate on that? I would go even further. I would say that all, anyone experiencing the side effects of trauma that we've mentioned, anxiety, yeah. depression, addiction, all of this stuff, your body is acting in exactly the right way to your external experience. Mm. there's a nothing broken about you you experienced events unsafety a prolonged exposure to threat and your nervous system dysregulated as it should do the problem is you're stuck in dysregulation you're stuck in the red zone mm -hmm. and all we need to do is bring you down out of the red zone regulate mm. your nervous system there you go i know men like uh, a solution uh, a route from a to b right healing all of those healing all of those symptoms is about regulating your nervous system it almost instantly if you can keep it regulated it instantly reduces those symptoms down to zero mm -hmm. yeah also the fact that you're feeling disconnected from yourself the fact that you're feeling depressed with your life is because you had to create an alternative character. You had to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. Good point. You mm -hmm. couldn't do anything else as a child. You experienced unsafety. You experienced rejection. You have to protect yourself from there, from that. The problem is you're just still playing a character, mm -hmm. and it's all unconscious. Mm -hmm. So rather than broken or ill, it's more like realizing, fuck, you know yeah i experienced that and god I, that was hard and yeah i had to do that i had to put up those barriers mm -hmm. i had to protect myself i had to disconnect from myself and as a result that disconnected me from life and love and my truth and my inspiration but actually the route back is just by reconnecting yeah, and by subtracting all of those things, subtracting the energy and the emotion and the trauma, subtracting the coping mechanisms, and actually, I'm I'm all right. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. So I've got a I've got a bit of an issue with with the whole thing about men and feeling broken and this type of stuff. I don't know whether this is harsh, but I think men use it as an excuse not to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see so many more women doing this work. Yeah. And it's no harder for them. It's no different for doing it for men than it is for men, although society is different. But doing the trauma work is not different. Right. And I see a lot of men just hiding in their addictions and their coping mechanisms and going along for, with it and waiting to be rescued. 
and you know feeling broken and i think there's enough information around there's enough people like you there's enough people on social media there's enough information around for men to be able to educate themselves on what's happening and to reach mm-hmm. out and get some help mm-hmm. i think it when when we label ourselves as uh yeah broken or have mental illness or have PTSD and those might be um, current states (laughs) of being, but I also agree that uh, as long as we create a story or a narrative that that's who we are, then we look for evidence to to support that theory. And if anything, it creates a, a thicker and thicker wall as time goes on that keeps us safe, like you said, from doing the hard work that's required of actually healing and evolving. So I agree with you a hundred percent that, uh, anyone who, who, you know, comes up with some type of like grandiose belief, it, it, re- it allows them to kind of relinquish the responsibility of change to your point. Right. Well, in, in some ways that in, that in itself is a coping mechanism. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm broken nobody can fix me i don't have to look at my trauma i don't have to look at this pain inside of me mm-hmm. now i'm just broken mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like that's probably what it's all about it's a bit of a cop-out a bit of a it's not a cop-out that's harsh it's a coping mechanism that's based in fear on doing the work and and, right. and looking at the pain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i've and i've dealt with those people as clients. I've, I've dated women like that who are just like, just love me for who I am. I don't, I don't want to work on this. You know, like this is, I'm just, I'm broken or this is just the way that it is. And I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> not exactly. I'm going to push you, you know, and, and some of them just really aren't comfortable with it. And that, that ultimately led to the end of a relationship. But, um, I, I do, I, I do empathize because I've done enough of my work and I still continue to probably have so much more work to do, but it feels it's, it's like I am signing up to be tortured in some way, you know, or it's like going to like, you just feel, I have this pit in my stomach for like, I know I'm going to go do this work, but I really don't want to do it, but I know I must do it, but man, is it scary? And I just, I want to do anything but the work. I just want to run away, you know, and it's, that's the yeah, little yeah, version of me. That. You know what I mean? I completely get that. I understand that. And there, you know, what's the motivation? It's either the pain gets too much, yeah, and you have to get the work. The pain of not doing the work becomes greater than the pain of doing the work. Yep. Or you have your, or you have kids, you have family, and you're like, okay, the, you know, this stops with me. Mm-hmm. I'm not passing this down. Mm-hmm. Or to be honest, I see a lot of I see a lot of ultimatums. I see a lot of men coming to me going, "My wife's going to divorce me unless I do this work." Yeah, same. Which, it's pretty sad actually that it has to get to that, but um, at least they're doing it. At least they're not running away. At least the relationship is enough motivation for them to do the work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had a coaching call yesterday, and I was literally telling him like you know, it's, it's no secret, but there will 
often do more for others than we will for ourselves. If, if you just watch your house burning down and your, your stuff is going up in flames, you'll kind of just let it go up in flames. But if your spouse or your child, you know, is in there, you'll run through flames to, to come, you know, save that person. I think at some point it was the same for me in my marriage, you know, as soon as she said it was over and I had that realization of being like, none, wait, 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 like, oh, you were serious about all these things of wanting to get marriage counseling and that you weren't happy. I kind of just, I just minimized it. Just, it was like, no, we're fine. But when she said she wanted a divorce, I was like, okay, now I'm ready. Like, wow. Like you said, the, the pain of losing her became more motivating than the pain of staying in the marriage and just accepting mediocrity and just kind of like going on with life, right? It was too late you know, for that, for that relationship. But I learned that, that tough lesson the hard way, you know, and I That's do feel a hard like a one, of, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking a man. But I wouldn't be who I am if, if I hadn't have gone through that. Like I said, I think I had to lose her. I had to lose my mom. I had to lose my, my, uh, mother-in-law, all the women that I cared so much for because I had to do this journey kind of on my own is at least that's the story that I created, you know? Um, but you know, I do feel like there's a lot of amazing women out there who are holding space for their men and calling out to their men to step up and do the work. And I feel like a lot of men are, and more, more men are doing the work, which is awesome, which is why I feel like I wanted to have you on the podcast, have, uh, have them be introduced to you and be like, okay, here's someone who really focuses on, you know, going below the surface. I mean, you might be one, one area really focusing on trauma, but man, like, what better place to, that is the place to start that's like you know i think so i mean the, the 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 results i end up coaching people afterwards but essentially once you've once you've removed once you've removed the unexpressed emotion and the stuck energy that continues to dysregulate your nervous system you're able to be safe in your body. You're able to live an embodied existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel grounded. I feel safe. I'm connected to who I am. I can, I'm connected to my intuition. I can use my voice. I can connect to my purpose. Okay. Because mm-hmm. we live in our bodies, but not if they are not if they are filled with trauma, with energy, mm-hmm. and with emotion. Mm-hmm. So once you're in your body and you can feel safe. And then you've healed those parts of you that feel that were traumatized. Yeah, those parts of you where you, that, have got, that have got the limiting beliefs and the coping mechanisms are protecting. Yeah. And they're integrated back into you, those parts of you that inner child. Then there's nothing to protect anymore. Right. You're feeling safe in your body. You're connected with who you are. You connect to your purpose and you can go out there and explore that. Yeah. And the vibration can then, the universe can then match that vibration rather than these coping mechanisms and these strategies. So once you've cleared the trauma, you are, in my experience, it's 90% of the work. It was for me. Yeah. You know, and then it's about managing it because every time you level up, every time you make that speech, every time you write that book, every time you you go to create that business, your inner child will go, well, what about if we get rejected? Yeah, totally. And that's okay because now you've got the tools and you've got the awareness to manage that process so it doesn't 
derail you. Mm-hmm. You can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so guys that, uh, that reach out to you or, or guys that are listening to this and this is really resonating for them and maybe they start to, to connect some of the dots listening to you, be like, okay, maybe this is something I really need to look into. <laughs> where, where do they even begin? So if a guy reached out to you and said, okay, this resonates. I heard of the podcast with Johnny. Like, I don't, but I'm scared. I just don't even know where to begin. What does that look like in terms of how you help work them through the process? You're talking about working with me or you're talking about in general? Working with you specifically. So, yeah, the first stage is a call, right? The first stage is let's talk. Let's talk about your experience, what you're going through, your childhood experience to a level. Obviously, if somebody's got deep trauma, then it's not something we go into. Mm-hmm. We join all the dots, and then I tell them about how we heal this. Yeah, what's what the process is of healing the physical, the emotional, the psychological side effects of the trauma, mm-hmm. regulating your nervous system, healing your inner child, connecting to your purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And you mentioned the word that is, underpins all of this earlier, and that's safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Do you like me? Do you feel safe with me? Can you... Can you can I create an environment where you can go into this and face it and heal it? Mm-hmm. And then the journey, I don't want to play it down, but releasing trauma actually is not a traumatic event. Mm. The problem, as I said earlier, is that if you're not safe enough and you haven't got the right tools, it can swallow you up. It can feel like you're re-experiencing it. Mm-hmm. The whole point is that if you can witness yourself releasing trauma it will go and it's not traumatic Mm. you witness it you're aware oh i feel angry oh it's from this oh i see it i feel it coming up i witness it i'm aware that i'm feeling angry i'm aware that i feel sad yeah and as you witness it you'll feel it coming out of your body it's an energetic release it's an emotional release it comes up out of your chest up and goes Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you feel yourself going back into your body and residing there and the light and the space where there was trauma. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's not a traumatic experience if you can process your trauma properly. And that's why I do it in, in 12 weeks, 12 sessions, 90 days is what it takes for the vast majority of my clients to re- to release their trauma and to connect with themselves and their body and their purpose. Oh, so that's... back to your question. The first step is a call, an introduction, a chat. It's free. Yeah. Just let's talk. Let's, let's see if you want to work with me. See if you want to do the work. But see, that really resonates too for me because I do, I feel like I have done work and yet that anxiety that I felt about like going to war with facing some is, is probably really founded in um, again, a similar fear of how I felt when I was little, which is like, I just don't feel safe. And I really don't want to go back and experience this, this, Mm. uh, this whole um, kind of moment again and not feel like I've necessarily moved anything, but, but it, 
to your point, bringing in the whole, like you have to kind of hold space for your younger self and it doesn't have to be releasing, you know, like that energy doesn't have to be traumatic. And mm. even to this moment, I kind of felt like, uh, that's, that's how, that's how it's been. It's kind of like, oh, I don't, I know I need mm. to do the work, but it just feels so traumatic to do the work sometimes, mm. you know, but you're, you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, it doesn't have to be. Well, let me, if you're in a group of men and you're in a tent and you're releasing emotion, like who's holding space for you? Again, yeah. this isn't about me selling my product, but if I'm working with you, yeah, I'm holding space for you. I'm guiding you to go into your body. We don't go into the memories of your trauma. We go to the stuck energy in your body. Yeah, so it's body-based. You're feeling your body. What's in my body? Oh, I've got this fear in my stomach or I've got something coming up in my stomach. So me, I'm guiding you to just feel the feeling. So yeah. what, what does it feel like? What does it look like? You know, and you'll be like, oh, it's a ball. So instead of instead of re-experiencing your trauma, you're feeling a ball of energy in your stomach, for example. Yeah. 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 And as we connect to that energy that's stuck in your body and it starts releasing, you can feel it. And I might ask you very briefly to connect to the emotion of that. Yeah. Or I might ask you briefly or guide you briefly to connect to the vision of the origin of that trauma. But then I'll bring you back to your body or I'll bring you back to observing. So I'm guiding you to witness your own trauma. Yeah, so it's a very safe, guided, one-on-one -on -one process, which is very different to just being in a, in a group environment, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Really good point. I love it. So it's initially um, just having a phone call with you kind of going through some yeah. of those things. And if they decided something that uh, you guys both feel settled about and working together, then they can kind of jump into your 12 week program. Is that right? Exactly. It's one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm developing other stuff, but at the moment it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, love it. 12 yeah, sessions love it. Yeah. once a week. That's amazing. Powerful. Uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, website, andrewlin.net. Um, I'm on Instagram, andrew.g.lin. So yep. if you want to dip your toe in the water and find out what I'm talking about, watch some videos, watch some posts, and you can do that before taking yep. the plunge. Yeah, yeah. That's obviously where I connected with you. But um, Andrew, awesome, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for just sharing your knowledge with us. I feel like we could uh, go several layers deeper keep chatting <laughs> for a couple of talk about yeah yeah but we'll we'll do it again soon um but i just really love and honor the the work that you're doing not only for yourself for your marriage for you know for your kids but then also kind of being able to really step into holding space and, and doing the work with with other men that desperately need it so thank you just for being you and for doing the work that you're doing and just showing up in the world um as, as the, the bigger, lighter, brighter version of you. Thank you. I feel very blessed to have had this experience and doing this work and blessed to meet you as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, guys, as much as I don't want to cut things off, uh, we have to get back. Andrew has to go to bed here soon. He probably has to do, you know, 
dinner time and bath time with his with his kids um being that it's a little bit later in the evening when we're recording this but andrew thank you again guys follow andrew at andrew.g.lin on instagram give him a follow for sure check out his website andrewlin.net i'll put those links in the show notes as well um and thank you brother really appreciate you being here guys we'll have uh have a good rest of your day whatever time it is that you're listening to this podcast looking forward to catching up with you on the next episode of the becoming kings podcast as well and if you have any thoughts or questions feel free to reach out to andrew or myself and enjoy the rest of your day cheers that's it for this one and i want to thank you for listening hey if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more please feel free to subscribe to the podcast and if you think others may benefit from it also Share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say hey. It would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.